This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the best of First Up for Friday the 18th of June, called Katrina Batanaho. In today's pod, we look at why there's been a 454% increase in online searches for electric vehicles this week. The COVID-19 vaccine will officially be available for general rollout from the end of July, and an animal sanctuary looks to rehome a thousand free-range chooks. But first, powerlifting is not an Olympic sport, but if it was, our gold medal hope would be Rotorua Man Mountain Mate Warangi Heta Morris. And early next month, the man known as The Beast will attempt a New Zealand bench press record of over 270 kilograms at the Wolfpack Invitational Meet in Christchurch. Our host Nathan Rarade asked Ma what weights he's lifting in preparation for the competition. My heaviest lift so far is 260. 2.5 kgs, and I'm hoping to stretch that to 272.5 down at the Wolfpack. How many people have to spot you when you lift that, like on either side of the bar? Because uh, I know I'd be useless uh, on one side of it, and I think the three of us here in the studio in the morning, I don't know if we could handle one side. So tell me about training for that, because it's got to be hard to find a crew that you can lift with. Yeah, I, I train mostly by myself anyway, man. But when I need to go heavier, just going at a time when there's people around. I mean, I just grab any spot if I can. <laughs> Strong people. Like, like I said, I'd be useless, but I'd clap and I'd cheer really well for you. As well as that, um, so tell me about, like, do you have to eat a special diet on the way in? Like, because I know in the old days, marathon runners used to eat heaps of pasta beforehand, you know, and carbo load. What do you yeah. do in the lead up to these? I, I just try and get it. I just eat normal food. I mean, I, I brought a, I brought a protein powder the other day, and that's the first time I've ever had protein. Had it taste? Yeah, I didn't really like it, so I just go back to food. But I try to put on at least maybe uh, last year I, I I put on ten kgs before set that record. But this year I'm trying to I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to go in a little bit. No, I wouldn't say leaner, but uh, not as heavy. So what would that weight be? About 165 kg. Okay, 165 kg. All right. When was the last time you bought any clothes off the rack? Because I'm thinking you're quite a big dude, like you're wide in the shoulders, you've got your massive arms and that. Just general life, being being a large person, is it hard? Yeah, for clothes and shoes, it's, it's very difficult. Because I was even thinking too, when you went over to the the worlds in Poland for arm wrestling, and I was thinking, how does Ma like fit into a plane seat for that long? Do you have to fly business class or first to fit in? Like, how do you do that even? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's usually the plan when flying over to distant countries like that. But yeah, I just usually end up sitting in economy and hoping for the best. That I still feel my ass when I get off the seat. Yeah. Hey, I've um, seen you, uh, seen some of your work recently on the TV series Vegas, which is pretty cool to see you there. Is that something as well that, that you would like to maybe do some more of? And how was that experience? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be keen to do it again. Eh? And it was actually quite fun. I, I enjoyed doing that. It was, yeah, it was actually something different. And yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, it was real cool. 
I um, there's that series right now which is the biggest in the world called Sweet Tooth, and there's a character on it called Big Man. And I looked and I thought, that's not a big man. Mars a big man to have a go with those. I mean, um, have you thrown your your hat in the ring for any of the productions that are around now, or have you got someone that can do that for you? No, no, I haven't. No, I don't even um, know how to go about that stuff. I uh, just got a message from one of the producers if I wanted to be in that show and. They described the part to me, and it was actually quite fitting. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so, look, you, you're, we're on the build-up to the competition, so it's a couple of weeks out there right now. Tell us about what, what stages of training are, are you in and, and how you're feeling. Are you near your peak? So I'm on my last peak of training, uh, say, this week and the start of next week. So I've got a few more trainings find out where I'm at but we're at a good level we're throwing around some decent numbers coming up to this competition so yeah I'm feeling pretty confident That was champion arm wrestler and New Zealand bench press record holder Mate Wārangi Heta Morris and we have video of the beast up on our Facebook page An Auckland animal sanctuary is preparing to welcome a thousand hens who have been saved from the chopping block and need new homes. They'll join the three-legged sheep Peggy, a very cuddly cow called Dora, on Franklin Farm Sanctuary. Our reporter Kamina Blewett spoke to the farm's manager, Sally Hart. They are in the Waikato. Um, The reason they need to be rescued is because they've come to their end-of-lay cycle for the first time, so at 18 months old, all chickens in all farms around the country are culled because they go off the lay for about three or four weeks and the reality is when you've got a flock of 2,000 hens, it actually is cost prohibitive to keep them alive uh, while they're not producing. So farmers have a quota they have to fill. When the hens stop filling that quota, then they obviously don't know which ones are laying and which ones aren't. How are they doing for health and what kind of conditions have they been in? So this particular rescue is a free-range farm, but this farmer has taken it upon themselves to go above and beyond what the law requires them to do, and these chickens do have a paddock. Each, um, or, you know, each flock, so a flock of 2,000 will have a paddock to roam around, and it is possible for them all to get outside. A lot of free-range farms, all they're legally required to do is have basically like a cat flap out to a little square of outside space, and the top hens will guard that exit and most of those chickens will never see the light of day but you'll still be paying for free range eggs which sucks. Still the chickens are really hen pecked from being in such a large flock and otherwise they're coming into their first molt so they can look a little bit raggedy but they come right so quickly. So you've done rescues before and obviously you're a professional at this but what kind of preparation actually goes into setting up a rescue? Oh my goodness, it's so much more intense than you would think. Yeah, we'll probably have 10 to 15 people at the farm. This one, because it's free range, will happen at night, so after the hens go to bed, so it's less stressful for them. We'll all meet at the farm and then we'll have, say, of those 10 to 15 people, maybe eight of them will be driving. And then we, in advance, figure out how many hens each person can transport and they'll be assigned to a point. So we might have the... Um, driving to Albany one night and then to Thames the next night and then to Tauranga the next night or wherever. So, yeah, we, I definitely couldn't do it with other volunteers. They are absolute 
superstars and go above and beyond for the chickens every time. How do the hens usually respond once they're, you know, rehomed and able to roam free? Yeah, for the battery girls especially, the last rescue we did was battery hens and that's always both amazing and just terribly, terribly sad watching them get used to their new life of freedom and, you know, they don't even know how to stand on solid ground after being in a cage for a year. They sort of gingerly pick up their feet and seeing them experience the different textures of grass and gravel and mud and things and they get so confused. It's, yeah, it's, it's sad but also like so amazing to watch that happen. Uh, the free range girls are a little bit easier but they the big thing with them is that they they can be very resource aggressive so any food or anything because they've had to compete so intensely in that environment if you put food down they will kill each other to get it so you have to just make sure that all the resources that are coveted by chickens are in abundance when they settle in. What can you tell me about your sanctuary and the other animal residents besides the hens which come through? Yes, it's always chickens because there's so many of them. But yeah, we also have cows and then we've got horses and goats and we've got a couple of cooney cooney pigs. Where did the dream actually begin? Uh, when I was pregnant with my third child, I knew that I, you know, he was going to be my last and I didn't want to go back to teaching, which is what I did before this. Um, but I still wanted to help people or animals or someone and make a difference. I like being outside. I really enjoy hard work. I've got a low boredom threshold. And this seemed to fit all my values. And so I started it in the middle of suburbia in Waiuku and this is the second winter on the farm. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a really massive learning curve, but I feel like I'm hitting my stride now with my knowledge. What's the ultimate goal for the sanctuary? What are some of the top things which you want to see done? I'd love just to make people more aware. I think a lot of people uh, would consider themselves animal lovers. So I would just love to get the facts of the industries out there so that people can live in line with the values that they already have, which I think is a fair, you know, a fair thing to allow people to do. That was Sally Hart from Franklin Farm Sanctuary. The chicken rescue will take place in mid-July. Since the government announced its rebate scheme for low-emission vehicles last week, interest in electric vehicles has absolutely soared. According to TradeMe, there have been nearly 22,000 searches for electric vehicles in the past seven days. That's a 454% increase on the week before. Nathan spoke with TradeMe's head of motors, Jeremy Wade. Break down the numbers uh, in these searches. What are people looking for? I think you, I mean, you've stolen a little bit of my thunder there, but you're right, there has been 22,000 searches in the past uh, seven days, which has been pretty staggering. But what's, um, what's quite surprising there is it's not just that people are curious, they're actually uh, quite serious about buying those cars. We've seen an increase of 290% in people watch listing those vehicles. 
Right. And are they like little cars or are they, you know, looking for the biggies? Like, is there something specifically you're going, oh, I notice everyone's trying to, what are those little ones? A Leaf, I think it is. You know? Yeah, the Leaf is, has always been the most popular EV on site and that can, has continued to be the case. And I think at the end of the day, most of the EVs we do have in New Zealand at the moment are quite small. So we have the uh, Leaf and then the BMW i3 followed by the Tesla has been the uh, most common searches. Ah, um, that's the electric vehicles, the hybrids as well. What what about them? Are they, are they a big search too? As people go, well, maybe I'll just dip my toe in the water of these newfangled electric cars. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the policy certainly still is uh, encouraging people to do that. We've seen um, searches for hybrids up seventy two percent, with watch lists up eighty two percent. Wow. Does this mean then that you're seeing a decline in the amount of um, petrol vehicles that people are looking at? That's what was quite um, surprising. Actually, those have held up really well. We've seen um, utes, for example, uh, searches up 3%, and um, and diesel vehicles up 24%, which really we think is a, a, a sense of people trying to get in before the legislation takes effect. I wonder if two, um, if people are almost comparative shopping between the two, you know? They go, well, have a look at this one, and then I'll see if I can find an electric version or a hybrid version. Would, would you think that might be a case? You know, I, I think there is a possibility of that, but I think as well, yeah, especially in the case of that Ute stat, you know, really there are people who are going, actually, I've got to act now. If I want to get a diesel car or a petrol car that's not as efficient, I need to get in now before the legislation takes effect. Um, do you think, though, that when, with people, because it seemed, I, I saw that a lot of people are buying Utes and thinking, well, oh, we better stockpile these. I'm wondering how wise that is to buy if eventually there's, you know what I mean, this this is going to be a, a type of vehicle that's made extinct, the, the, the combustion engine. Uh, yes, but I think, um, I can see your argument there, Nathan, but at the end of the day, there's still going to be demand for those vehicles. Um, you know, you think about the, the age of the New Zealand vehicle fleet is incredibly old. Mm. So we know that any vehicle that's bought today is going to continue to be used for the next 20 to 30 years. So I think particularly, you know, talking about farmers needing um, vehicles like that, I think we're going to continue to see that um, demand through until um, January. Jeremy, when, when this first came out, I know one of the arguments was, oh, but electric cars, and they straight away went to the most expensive one and said, well, who can afford a Tesla? Uh, which which is fair enough, you know, the brand new ones there as well. But the stock of vehicles, is that dependent in the second-hand market on what imports from Japan? Yeah, 100%. And, um, and it's well known that the supply chain issues since COVID has really meant that it's hard to bring in used vehicles. Uh, volumes are down, have been down all year. And that'll continue to be a challenge for the next year. Trade Me's Head of Motors, Jeremy Wade. New Zealand's general population will start to be vaccinated against COVID-19 from next month, beginning with those aged over 60 from July the 28th. On Thursday, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern revealed how the rollout will work for Group 4, with people in older age bands to get the Pfizer vaccine first, ending with under-35s in October. Michael Plank from Te Punaha Matatini and University of Canterbury spoke with Nathan. So for those who missed yesterday's announcement, can you remind us um, how this is going to work and when those various age groups can expect to get the vaccine? Uh, yeah, so um, age is uh, going to be the main criteria for uh, when people are eligible to get the vaccine. Um, so at the moment, anyone over 65 um, is, is eligible. Um, but in from July, that's when we start um, <clears throat> really receiving more deliveries of, of the Pfizer vaccine. Um, from the end of July, people over 60. And then it gradually steps down through the age groups over the months, sort of through August and September. 
um, until finally the under 35s will be eligible from October. So how will people know that it's, you know, when it's their turn to get the jab? Uh, well, it'll be it'll certainly be in the news, um, and um, but hopefully people will will receive a, an individual message um, uh, if they've registered their details with the GP and, and the, the, you know they've got their contact details in the system. They'll get a message inviting them to um, to jump on the new booking system and book the appointments um, to get their their vaccines. What about those people? I'm just thinking because you know quite often a lot of people now don't have a I guess a regular GP they go to. They'll go to a local medical centre if they if they if they're feeling unwell. Does does it make it difficult to get to those people? Um, as long as the, uh, as long as your details are in the system, um, it, it sh- that should be enough oh, cool. to um, you know um, for, for there to be a record of you and for the um, for the officials to get in touch. Okay, good. I was just being selfish with that question. That was me. Uh, in your view, has has the government approached this in the right way? Yeah, I think it makes it makes sense to use age as the criteria because we know that older age groups are at much higher risk um, from COVID nineteen. Um, that said, it's really important for the younger age groups to get vaccinated as well when their turn comes. Um, and that's because, um, you know, although they might be at lower risk, they're still um, able to spread the virus. And so they can spread it into the older age groups um, and more at risk groups. Um, and of course, low risk is not no risk. You know, this is a nasty virus. And um, mm. even with young groups, there's still a risk of um, quite severe health impact, things like um, long COVID. Um, do you think this rollout is ambitious enough? And, and I mean by that, you know, like we live in an age where we've got things like Google. We get it now. You know, you can order your food now. You have to go from window one to window two to get a snack or whatever. Is the rollout ambitious enough? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to remember it's constrained by supply, um, by the, you know, the deliveries of vaccine that we're getting from Pfizer. Um, and if you look at countries around the world, I mean, you know, we know that the UK and the US and various other rich countries are, are you know, going through their vaccine rollouts very quickly. But there's a lot of other countries as well who really haven't um, been given the vaccines that they need and, and they're lagging behind. So there's an equity issue there globally. Um, and uh, yeah, New Zealand's just got to, you know, we've, we've got to focus on the supply that we're getting and make sure that we get that supply out to people as quickly as possible. So, so do you think then that we actually can be vaccinated by the end of the year? Um, it, it'll come down to the to supply um, and to people actually um, being willing to, to go in and, and get vaccinated when their turn, turn comes. I, as I understand it, and, and you can please, this is why I'm asking you because I'm dumb about this stuff, you know, early on it was like, well, we've got the Pfizer one, but it, it requires extreme refrigeration and it seemed like quite a difficult um uh, you know, vaccine to get around and that. Do we have enough storage in, and I'm thinking here, in DHBs where they might have a quite remote population? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not an expert in the in the sort of logistics side of it. Um, you're right. It does it does need um, cold storage requirements, and so there are some logistical challenges there. But um, certainly, you know, they've been well signalled, and they've put a lot of effort into making sure that they've got the supply chains and the storage that they need. I think the um, the storage recommendations were um, relaxed a little bit, so uh, you can store store it in the fridge for a longer period of time, um, mm. which makes it a bit logistically easier. So what will all this mean for herd immunity? And I, I hear different percentages all the time. What, what percentage do you look at and think, that's the one that keeps us safe? 
there's still quite a bit of uncertainty around this um, with things like new variants emerging, um, but it's certainly going to be quite a high percentage that we need to reach to, to get to that herd immunity or, or population immunity threshold, um, you know, in the sort of 80 to 90 percent uh, ballpark, quite likely. Because as, as I understand it, does that mean that, like, you know, some people won't get the vaccine for various reasons? Um, does that mean then that the rest of us, there needs to be about 90% of us with the vaccine to keep them safe? That's right. If we can uh, if we can get enough people vaccinated, what it does is it stops people from being able to spread the virus. And so the benefit of that is that the virus just isn't able to take hold um, within your population. And so it protects you at a population level, um, even if there are if there are small numbers of people who don't have the virus. So that's the situation we, we're really aiming for. And, and Michael, waiting for one um, supplier, some, you know, all eggs in a basket, are you in support of it only being the Pfizer vaccine? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it has the benefit of, um, of keeping things simple. Um, we know that um, Pfizer is a really um, good vaccine. It's been used widely around the world and it's got really good data showing that it's, uh, it's safe and it's effective um, against COVID, including some of the, the new variants that are coming out. That's Michael Plank from Te Punaha Matatini and University of Canterbury. Thanks for listening to the best of First Up, Matewa.